My experience, not always my practice, but my experience says to have quiet time where I can feel and think and see and know how to prepare for the next step. And that takes time. And when you don't make the time to do that and you don't have the breath and the ability, you make bad decisions and you don't, or you don't make good decisions. And they take you in paths that you may not really want or have the energy to go down. I'm Michael Max, and this is Geological. Here in the West, many of us have this idea that karma is rather like Judgment Day, but on an ongoing factory assembly line basis, that our actions and thoughts bring about punishment or grace, depending on whether we've been good or not, as seen through the eyes of an external authority. Karma doesn't really work that way. It's more like an ecosystem where everything influences everything else. Karma, it's not a system of judgment or punishment. It's more like inertia. Think about it. Inertia simply grinds on with its relentless force and direction because it contains the influence of everything that's led up to this moment. Inertia is simply the sum total of the path traveled. We see the influence of inertia everywhere. It's the force behind our habits. It is a powerful factor in family relationships. Our emotional lives are fueled by it. Cultures and economies, they're sustained by it. Our habit of anger tends to land us in conflictive and angry situations. The way we hold on to a single fragment of experience with somebody that we care about can forever color our perception of them as we replay over and over again that moment of joy or pain. Every time it flashes through our mind, we miss the opportunity to see who they are and who we are right now. It's inertia that keeps us skipping on the same groove and not recognizing that a new moment has arrived. It's not that karma is a divine retribution or a cosmic accounting system. It's more like biology. Plant acorns, you get oak trees. Cultivate yeast and grapes, you get wine. Hold a grudge and resentment will flower. Practice compassion and a sense of peace arises. It seems the world is out of control as we long for peace, but practice hatred. Seek prosperity, but practice scarcity. Strive for health, but live as if we were immortally divorced from nature. Anger begats anger. Compassion leads to deeper connection. Inquiry leads to learning. Practice of anything, be it music, medicine, writing, Business, mindfulness, art, or movement can't not produce deeper understanding and mastery. Call it karma. Call it inertia. Life unfolds in line with the direction of our attention. It's difficult to have direct experience of the world because mostly we operate from the maps that we've drawn to the world. We think we know how things work. We hear a sound and know it's our spouse making breakfast in the kitchen. 
see a bird thrumming its beak against a tree and know it is a peleated woodpecker. The inertia in our lives comes from having named an experience from the past and then using that as the reference for any new sensory input that fires those particular synapses. It's devilishly difficult to have new experiences that are not mediated by the encodings that we've already laid down in our brains. Sometimes, either by accident or cultivation of attention, we might let slip for a moment the constant ongoing description that we call thinking. There are moments when we get a glimpse that fleetingly stops the world. The us and them stance falls away. We are suddenly weightlessly free of inertia. Our karma drops its hold. Call it grace, call it enlightenment, call it connectivity, stillness, or atonement. There are free-floating moments when the past does not intrude. When we stop making sense and simply come to our senses, completely empty, fresh, and receptive. When inertia drops away, we have a precious moment when we can listen without the noise generated from our constant thoughts. And for that floating, languageless moment, we have a true sense of choice. Our profession venerates the masters. But what goes into mastery? Is it a matter of age and experience? Is it going very deep, but also narrow into a particular subject or condition? Does mastery arise from concerted study and expertise in detail? Or is it something that arises from the synthesis of broad swaths of experience? In this conversation with Celia Hildebrand, we discuss how the practice of medicine changes us over the course of years, how we gain some perspective, not because we've grown in wisdom, but because we have a larger collection of red flags from the mistakes that we've blundered into over the years. Hi folks, I'm Yvonne Lau, president of Mayway Herbs. Our family business turns 55 this year and we wouldn't have gotten this far without the love and support of our community. We're truly grateful and promise you that we'll continue to work hard to support you and your practice. Please visit mayway.com to find the perfect plum flower brand formula or formulate your own in our dispensary. Our site also has lots of articles, videos, and herbal recipes for you to explore whenever you need a break. And tune into our podcast, Chinese Medicine Matters for insightful discussions on all things TCM. Learn about treatment strategies and powerful herbal remedies, and enjoy bits of Chinese culture. This month, we're focusing on the treatment of various skin concerns like itchy skin and stubborn acne. 
And if you're a practitioner, get a discount on our skin health formulas this month too. Just visit Mayway.com. This season and every season, trust Mayway for your health and wellness needs. And as always, thanks for supporting Real Chinese Medicine. Change is never easy. This is evidenced by the fact that the scales weighing the number of people on the green side of change versus the number of people on the old, hard-on-the-planet ways of doing things are still way out of balance. Our planet is suffering, but our profession has an easier way to shift the scales. The founders of AccuFast Earth-Friendly Needles started with a great needle and then created our industry's first eco-friendly packaging and reusable accessories. They also give back to nature by planting trees. I encourage you to challenge yourself to make the change. Ride the wave of spring yang chi and make the switch by joining me and the multitude of colleagues who made the change. Now you can celebrate Earth Month in April with pride knowing that you are helping us to tip the scales of planetary health towards a greener, healthier, and healing planet. Visit www.acufastneedles.com to get on board. You've probably already heard me here on the podcast share about Jane, my favorite all-in-one practice management software that helps you to run your practice online and manage no-shows. The team at Jane understands that life happens, and sometimes that means your patients are unable to make their scheduled appointment. If that's the case, a quick and easy way to fill those unexpected gaps in your day is by utilizing Jane's time-saving waitlist management features. You can take advantage of automated SMS text or email notifications to notify eligible waitlisted patients that there's an opening so they can easily scoop up an available time. If you know you're ready to sign up, you can mention the show or use the code CHEOLOGICAL for a one-month grace period on your new Jane account. Visit jane.app to get started today. One of the benefits of experience is that it helps us be okay with working outside our usual comfort zones. And how surprising it is to find ourselves at a time of life when we thought we'd be slowing down, but instead, unique and fruitful opportunities happen to be showing up. All right, friends, sit back, grab a cup of tea, and let's get into this conversation with Celia. Celia Hildebrandt, welcome to Geological. Thank you, Michael. Um, delightful to be here. I think it probably will be. We had some email conversation. You originally wrote in with some kind of like, hey, this website isn't working. How do I get in? Something's broke, blah, blah, blah. And then we ended up having this email conversation that went on to the point where it's like, you know, why don't we just have a podcast conversation? I don't even remember everything that we exchanged, but I know there were some pretty intense and pretty deep thinking, ponderous thoughts. Yeah. So I've got a few ideas, but I'd like to hear what your sense of that was. You're asking me to recall something now? I am. Oh, sorry. I'll, I'll work on it. <laughs> if you could only see me tap dancing at the same time. I remember having a conversation about age and, oh, I know how it got started. 
I had this odd happening trying to get insurance and it was through the ASA and ASA was offering life insurance, but they don't offer life insurance for anyone over age 60 or their life insurance partner doesn't. And I was commenting about how that's when the wisdom really comes out. And it sounds like they're putting those of us over age 60 out to pasture because we can't get life insurance out through the ASA's insurance partner. So I was commenting about how comical that was to me because now that I'm over 60, I feel like I'm finally getting it. I'm finally getting the medicine and I'm finally diving into it in a way that I could not, I did not have the capacity to do that when I was younger. And I think that was part of our conversation of moving into this age. And as we do, we're also realizing, wait a minute, I don't really even have as much stamina as I used to have. So mm-hmm. perhaps this is really the time to slow down. and become absorbed by and at the same time embody the medicine in a way that's very different than how we have in the past. And that was some of the conversation that we started the back and forth, I believe. It was something like that. I I didn't remember the part about you not being able to get insurance. That's interesting. Of course, as people get older, insurance gets more expensive if it's available because, you know, we're bigger liability. We're more likely to get sick. We're more likely to die. We're more likely to make a claim of any sort. Insurance likes to take money in, mm-hmm. not give it back out. So there is that. Yeah, you know, our profession kind of has a fetish about masters, right? You know, the masters, the old people, you know, the ones that have been at it a long time. We kind of fetishize the masters. Just because you're old doesn't mean you're a master. And just because you're old doesn't mean you necessarily know a lot mm-hmm. or you've learned. It depends on what you've done in that intervening time. And one of the things that I remember talking about with you in that email exchange was how things at a certain point of our career and where we are, it's really right for that moment. It's like right for who we are. It's right for what we need to learn. It's right for the work we're called to in this world. And then you get into sort of what I'm going to call mid-late career. You know, there's that old very cliche saying about what got you to here isn't going to get you to there. Mm-hmm. And so practices change as we change. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very true. Whatever got you involved with Chinese medicine in the first place? This isn't your first career, is it? I have parallel careers also, but this is probably the third among others. I actually broke my back. Well, it starts when I was a kid. Actually, I used to do a lot of hands-on work with my mom. When she would come home from work, I'd massage her. She died when I was young. So I had to learn how to do things on my own. She was a really good guide. After she left us, she actually became a guide for me and took me along a very strong pathway. And this is when I was a kid. So I hadn't read anything. I didn't know anything other than what she taught me. Later, I learned what was happening. But this was when I was like 12 and 13. So as I got into my 20s, I started to explore other ways of knowing and being in a way that was more systematic and maybe a little bit more academic. I broke my back when I was 22. My back was broken when I was hit by a car. And that dumped me into a whole kind of underground group of people in Washington, D.C. And that's where I learned how to do the hands-on healing And a lot of traditional, old traditions, Mm. I would say. I had a lot of mentors that brought me along. I also started, that's where I started investigating my own, my own lineage and my own background. That eventually took me to Hawaii. Hang on just a second. 
your own lineage and background. Mm-hmm. What does that mean? So my mom's parents are from Eastern Europe. They're from the Carpathian Mountains and what is now Poland and Ukraine. Mm. And because she had these gifts, that's naturally where I was pulled to. My dad's side is Bavarian. But it opened up these doors to me to look at other ways of knowing and being and sensing things. And then the more training I got, the more that became apparent to me. So I started doing some really good research in my 20s, and I eventually ended up moving to Hawaii, where I studied with some traditional people over there, and I lived with them off and on, and um, met somebody who had gone to the International Institute of Chinese Medicine in Santa Fe. So I looked that up, and I made a beeline when I got back. I lived in Hawaii for four years. So when I got back to the mainland, I made a beeline for Santa Fe, and that's where I studied. That's where I have my first degree, my master's degree is from the International Institute of Chinese Medicine, which is no longer an operation. So they ended in like 2002 or 2003, I think. Yeah. Did you go to school with Chris Powell by any chance? Ah, there were a couple Chris's, and I don't remember. Mm. I graduated in 2001. I think he, no, he graduated long before that. Okay. He's another Missouri acupuncturist. Mm. Remember he was there. Yeah. So you made a beeline. Well, kind of. What? Why? What got your attention? I got chills when I was, I was doing Lomi Lomi training on the Big Island with Auntie Margaret Machado. And one of her assistants had come from this school, ICM. And when I met him, I had this electrical shock. And I recognized that as a, an opportunity mm-hmm. and a door opening. Mm-hmm. And that's, that was it. That was it. Yeah. When I moved to the mainland, I actually lived in Nevada for a while. And then I moved to Santa Fe and started working there. And I just dunked myself right into it. Talk about commitment. Yeah. Yeah. So other ways of knowing, Mm -hmm. other ways of sensing. I guess some people would call that intuition or certainly non-rational kinds of process. Or is it? Oh, my. That's a word. It depends on how you describe rationality and what side of the fence you're on, Mm. right? If you're indigenous... Or if you're a person who grew up always knowing that there was another side of the fence, then it is your world. It is um, how you perceive, think, feel. And a lot of that's been proven now by science, right, in expanded states of consciousness and also what we would consider weight chi. So how is it that we use weight chi? And are we using it in a way that keeps us in touch with these other tendrils of energy that are all around us? It's what we practice in Qigong. Um, It's what we practice as we take in deep breaths and move the energy through us. Not all of us are as attuned to it as others, but many of us use it. We just don't know how to call it or maybe articulate it. Yes, and I suspect some of us, and I'm speaking for myself, sense it, but we grew up in an environment. It's like that was off limits. I think you're right. I think many of us were taught to shut it down. Mm-hmm. There's that. You just said something that really kind of went through me, which was that this is an aspect of Wei Chi, that our Wei Chi is a way of contacting mm-hmm. what's called the other side of the fence. I like that phrase. Often when I think of Wei Chi and the way that it gets talked about in our profession, People just think, oh, immune system, right? It's this energy on the outside. If you skip the immune system piece, 
You just look at it as like, oh, it's the Taiyang energy. It's the energy at the outer surface. And it's often considered protective. What I think I'm hearing from you is that it's also communicative. It's the chi that is communicative at the exterior. That's my experience of it. And it makes sense um, in terms of um, people who practice weight, uh, qigong. And so how we take the inhale, the inspiration, what do we do with it? We move it through our bodies, right? And part of the idea is that it eventually begins to make the alchemical exchange within our physical bodies. And it becomes part of our lung, our large intestine, our exterior reality. What is that if that's not one of the auric fields? So the ability to push it out is, I mean, imagine that part of Wei Qi is also protecting us from Gu, like from the other impacts. So it's, it is our protective or immune layer. So what is our immunization? So another way of interpreting that is, yeah, we're protecting ourselves from the viruses, from the bacteria, from the fungus, from everything else. But we're also, aren't we protecting ourselves from bad thoughts or people or things that would do harm to us? That would be the Gu. And in the interpretation, the gu is the exterior pathogenic factor that is invading us. So why would that way chi not also become part of our auric field? And those of us that have learned how to use that can extend it and feel outwards and just tell me what's going on. What do I need to know from this experience from these people? Am I safe? Mm -hmm. And some people would argue that those who have had experiences as children where they had to find safety have a little bit more attenuated, maybe attention to that way chi, that way of using it to tell us if we're safe, are we protected, do we need to get out of here? So whether it's a limbic system or it's way chi, it's an ex something that's external to us. And it's that part that helps to recognize this is safe or, ooh, this is malicious. Yes, yes. Is this something I want to, is it sticky? Mm. Do I even want it to be around me? Do I want to be around it? Does this give me pleasure? Mm -hmm. Does it give me concern, fear? You know, what do I pay attention to? So as we're having this conversation, I've got like the image of a single-celled organism with its outer membrane kind of touching the environment and going, oh, and it like flows into one area or pulls back from another. Mm-hmm. Like an amoeba. Exactly. That's exactly what I see when I look at you right now, Michael. I see you as an amoeba. I'm joking. Uh-huh. Well, I had an experience the other night. We had some very violent weather come through here. And there were a bunch of tornadoes that had spawned. And uh, all y'all is listening now. This was probably, you know, a month or so ago by the time you hear this. But there was a big tornado that tore through Kentucky. Was on the ground for like 220 miles across three states on the ground, one tornado. That's unbelievable stuff. We didn't have that, but we had all these storms and smaller tornadoes coming through St. Louis. And I love storms. I like the way they feel and I like the smell of the rain mm -hmm. and kind of the crackle in the air. We've got these big eaves on our house, so I can stand outside my house under the eaves, just kind of experience the storm without getting rained on. And so the other night I stepped out to experience the storm and everything in me said, get in and get down. It was this weird, hairy energy. There's that weighty. Mm -hmm. yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And as you say that, I'm getting chills. 
I got chills just talking about it. It actually felt instructive. Mm -hmm. It's like, look, pay attention to this. Notice mm -hmm. this. Yeah. So curious that now here we are having this conversation a few days later. I'm a little tuned into it. And what is Wei Qi? And what is wind, right? Wind mm -hmm. brings us information. If we go back to the Taoist, wind is what brings the damp, the cold, the heat, the pathogenic factor. Um, in some cultures, you never sleep with a window open at night because the wind is going to bring something in. So what is wind? It's air, it's breath. It's everything that's external to our physical being. And so how our physical being, through the abilities of weight to you, whatever you want to call it, it is that communication. And some people also call it art. Mm. So it just depends on your cultural lens and what you're most comfortable with. Some people might call it a halo. Well, it depends on which um, variety of belief system you're in. Yes. Hello, everyone. Andrew Sturman here. I've been working with clients in Chinese medicine dietary therapy for over two decades in New York City. My focus is beautiful, simple, delicious, and health-supportive home cooking. Good meals can be inspired by the strategies of classic herbal formulas so that each meal is infused with medical intention from appetizer to dessert. This requires an understanding of the energetic properties of grains, vegetables, meats, fruits, and more, and knowing which foods are moistening, drying, building, clearing, warming or cooling, as well as their directionality. I've organized these teachings in my two-volume book series, Welcoming Food, where you can learn this theory, practice it in your own kitchen, and love doing so. See the positive reviews and incredible testimonials from practitioners and patients who've brought this material into their own kitchens. Welcoming Food Books 1 and 2 can easily be found online, and if you'd like to follow me on Instagram, where I'll be posting cooking tutorials, you can find me at Welcoming Food. Back to you, Michael. Thanks very much. So, now you've got me, I was going to say thinking, but I'm not thinking, I'm more feeling mm -hmm. what that's like. I'm going to have to play with this. I'm going to check back with you in a week or two. Okay. <laughs> That's all right. Have another conversation offline included. Yeah, that would be great. Thank you for that piece. I would like to turn back a little more to what we were talking about previously, which was I want to use the word retirement, but retirement's kind of a loaded word. Mm -hmm. You know, in my mind, retirement's like you're hanging out on your porch in the rocking chair and just, you know, whiling away what's left of your life. Uh, the older I get, the more I recognize that I have retired so much from my life already. There's things that I did as a younger person. I don't do them anymore. There's habits that I've had in the past. I don't do them. There's jobs I've had. I don't do it. There's ways of thinking or being. I retired those. I don't use them anymore because I'm living my life differently. Right? In the medicine, certainly invites us into that. It's a great opportunity. And we were talking about how burnout is something that shows up often when we need to make some kind of a change. Mm -hmm. Curious to know when, like what shows up for you in terms of burnout that lets you know, oh, storm clouds on the horizon, something's up. How do you know you're getting there? 
I usually ignore all the signs personally. I um <laughs> I have this collection of red flags that I continue to build. Oh look, another red flag. Great. Let me grab that. So that's it's only by experience of oh my god. When I was a kid, I used to do this thing where I'd be taunted by other kids to dive off a diving board or slide down the slide. And I remember going up a really tall ladder once and I got to the edge and I thought I can't do this. And so I made every kid back down <laughs> so I could get back down the ladder. Because you know, you get in that position and you just say, I can't believe I can't believe I'm here. Oh my God. Am I ready to jump? What happens if I jump and I kill myself? Or what happens? Am I ready for that? So I think learning no matter what, when we get to whatever edge we're approaching, if we gather those red flags and don't learn from them. So the idea is if you gather it and you learn from the red flag, then maybe the next time you won't go as far. But if you don't and you go that far, you have to be comfortable with saying, no, stop, wait, I need to back up. What's happening? So for me, that happens in, in the physiological. And occasionally it happens because somebody else who might be living around me in another space, another dimension, is sending me a warning. And I've certainly had enough of those happen where I've had warnings happen to me where I, I stop and I listen or I look and I go, okay, I get the message. I understand. Um, I won't do this. And other times I still blast forward. But for me this year, what happened is I was running an acupuncture school. I was dean of a school and I was also working in my own clinic and I had two other consulting jobs and my aunt died. I had heard through the energetic grapevine that she was in really bad need. But she took up a lot of time. Every time I would talk to her, she would take up quite a bit of time, like two hours at a time. And I didn't really have two hours of any one day to spend with her. And so I let it slip for a week or two. And then she died. And I only knew that because somebody called me as she was dying. And so I had to spend uh, the next eight hours on the phone with my cousin as she was with her mother dying. And I lost it after that. I lost it for 48 hours. I just thought I can't, I can't ever do this again where I can't be present for somebody who I love mm. and somebody who is alive and to help them to ease their pain as they were going through it. By the time I got to her, she was already unconscious. So all I could do was work energetically to say goodbye to her. And I thought, I just can't ever, ever allow myself to do that again. And that was the point at which I, I laid down. I just, I dropped a number of things I was doing and I walked away more or less gracefully. But it took that much because I had been driving myself so hard for long. I had been driving myself where, you know, you just like, you're the frog or the lobster that gets put in the, in the pot of water. And, and finally it boils so much. You don't realize that you're about to die. And that's basically, I think what some of us, not all of us do, but that's what some of us do because there are opportunities presented to us, or especially in the past year with COVID, those of us that are called to help do the work are being drawn deeper and deeper into some process that we believe we can actually be of service. And sometimes we are, and sometimes we aren't. But to not know when to stop uh, has been a hard lesson for me to learn. And I think I finally learned it this year. So does that kind of answer your question? Wow, there's a lot there. How do you know you're burning out? Well, I ignore the signs. <laughs> <laughs> How many red flags do you have? <laughs> I love your term too. I collect red flags. It's like I collect baseball cards. And that sounds right to me. 
That sounds right in a profound way. There are warning signs. I usually ignore them. Or I'll tell a different story about it. Or it's like, oh, I just, I'm just being lazier. I need to double down. Hmm. There's always a story that goes with something that gets your attention. But yeah, I collect red flags. I love that term because those red flags are also experiences. Those red flags are, I'm going to call it a reliable marker. And if I can be a little more cognizant of it, I might recognize trouble a little sooner. I think we also do get to that point, and I have been at that point, where something happens and then just a whole house of cards falls down, Mm -hmm. right? It's liberating and horrible at the same time. It's that fantastic haiku, I don't know who did it, something to the effect of, um, my barn having burned down, I now can see the moon. I like that one. Yeah. Yeah, bit by bit you get them. I've been getting them lately. There's, there's one that showed up about six months ago. I didn't know it at the time. I was getting very, I got angry when people would call me for an appointment. <laughs> <laughs> I've done that too. Right. They call me for an appointment. And I have a small practice and it's just a one-man show. And so I do my own phone work. And I always ask people, because I kind of want to screen them. It's like, are you the right person for me? And am I the right person for you? Can I help you? And so I always ask, how did you hear about my practice? And they would say, oh, I found you on the internet. You have good reviews. I swear to God, the thought that went through my mind was, I hate those damn reviews. (laughs) I'm laughing with you here, Michael. (laughs) I hate those reviews, you know, like leave me alone. And I watched this like go in the back of my mind and I think that's really weird. Why, you know, like, I should be grateful. Michael, practice your gratitude. What I come to realize six months later is I am entirely too busy. And I've been a little too busy for a little too long. Mm-hmm. It's not helpful for me. It's not helpful for my patients. It's like there was one of those red flags. Mm-hmm. Oh, you're getting angry at something you shouldn't be angry at. All right, where else are you getting angry? That really gratitude is what would be more appropriate. Mm -hmm. What else is there? So instead of feeling like a blessing that people recognize you, Mm -hmm. it felt like a burden. And especially that one more person would be relying on you to help them become better. Or That's right. Burden is the exact word. And this is something I discovered about two years ago. Is it two years ago or a year and a half ago? Whenever COVID hit and we all closed down. Mm -hmm. right? March, 2020. I, after being closed down for a week, I felt great. (laughs) I felt so good. I felt this burden come off my shoulders. I love my work. It's a privilege to do the work I do. What's with this burden? It's just that people depend on us and we pay a price. I think we pay an energetic price Mm -hmm. and it's helpful if, at least for me, if I'm aware of it. Mm Mm-hmm. And I wonder how different it is because, you know, I've started working at the university. I'm embedded. So I'm within the College of Medicine. Which university is this? University of Arizona, College of Medicine, uh, Family and Community Medicine. Yeah, like acupuncturist in there. Tell us about that. I know. Oh, no, that blows my mind. Yeah, me too. It happened like I didn't even go after the job. In fact, 
it was really quite funny how I got the job. They asked me to interview and it was for something different. It wasn't exactly for being an acupuncturist. It was for doing work with tribes because I work with tribes. I've been working with tribes for about 35 years. So it was a specific project. So they brought me in kind of through that project, but then they interviewed me for a position as research faculty. And so I didn't even prepare for the interview because they asked me to come. So I'm sitting in the interview and they said, well, why do you want to work here? And I bust out laughing. I was like, I don't know. You asked me, what do you want from me? (laughs) And I thought, oh my God, I just totally blew the interview. And they all started laughing and I actually got the job. And then I thought, well, I don't know, this is bigger than me because I have consciously tried to talk myself out of this job for months and they kept giving me opportunities. And I realized that this is not about me. This is about being an acupuncturist within a college of medicine. And I think it, you know, it helps that I have the doctorate that, you know, I have my DAOM and I think that helps quite a bit. It helps that I published a few things and it just helps that I can hold my own. And it helps that I'm older because the administration at the school really, and this is also a school that has embraced more or less the integrative medicine approach because we have the Andrew Weil Center here as well. And I'm also part of that. So it just helps that there are a lot of doctors that already have had some opening and some training to integrative medicine. I basically just was able to walk in. And my thinking on this is, it's really not about me. It's about having the foot in the door, keeping the door open so other people can come along. And so that's what it's been all along for me is just that process. Well, the door was opened for you. They opened a door for you. And you recognized it. Walk through. I love that job interview. Mm-hmm. So what can you offer us? I don't know. You tell me. You invited me. <laughs> but you know, would, would I have said that 20 years ago? No. But now at my age, I'm also like, I have a lot to bring to the table. And so tell me what it is also that I can contribute to you that makes you think that I would be a good partner here. It's a two-way consideration. It's not just, I have to sell myself. Let's, this is a collaborative process. So, which is not normal, not common, I should say. Yeah, I I think not common might be a better way to say it because really for anybody doing any kind of project where you're working with other people, what you're looking for is a good fit. Mm -hmm. And you're looking to see if you can connect with people. We're back to that Weichi thing here in a way, right? Mm -hmm. Can you connect? One of the big questions I have is, is, well, can you take me as who I am? Mm -hmm. So it's a good idea to show up as who we are. I can remember years ago, before I did acupuncture, I was working in high tech, and yes, I want a job, and I go to the job, and I'm hoping that they're going to choose me. That's often how a job interview is. Oh, I I want the job. I hope they want me. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I used to do back then, because I'm quirky, is I would occasionally go interview for jobs that I had no interest in getting. (laughs) Yes. I mean, if I got it, great, fine. But I wanted to go and I wanted to put myself in the experience of not giving a damn. Mm -hmm. I get a grade. I don't get a grade. I want to go and see, do I want to work for you? I'm interviewing you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I don't know. I didn't have that capacity when I was a younger person. I I mean, I worked on it a bit. But what I found as I get older, I just don't care about a lot of things that I used to care about. Mm-hmm. And so it's often a little bit easier. But Michael, that 
I don't care is very different coming from someone our age versus someone who's 40. Because that I don't care when you're 40 comes across as arrogance or comes across as something different. I mean, and that's the beauty. And that's kind of going back around to what we started talking about is gaining all the experiences that we have. In some ways, yes, knowing when to quit. I want to go back to the original thing that had me talking about the UA Mm -hmm. and my colleagues there is that their burnout right now is 10 times worse than ours because I'm working with frontline people and they're exhausted. They are barely standing up straight. And our profession has a way of helping them, right? Even if all we are able to do is a regular acupuncture, having a small clinic for providers, for the first responders. And that's what I'm doing. Like I'm finally able to do that through the university because I'm credentialed as a provider. I just got that last week. So now I'm credentialed as a provider, an acupuncture provider within Banner system, which is a big deal here. But now I can do this for my colleagues. I can actually come in and help the frontline people work through what is just incredible burnout. I don't know that you and I ever experienced that same level because it may be some people who have the really big practices. Like you and I, it sounds like we probably have similar types of practices I spend a lot of time with my patients. I take them on. I do a bunch of medical stuff with them as well. I help translate Western to Eastern and Eastern to Western a lot. Mm-hmm. But there are other people that have big clinics and who are running you know, like 40 and 60 people a day through their clinics. Mm-hmm. Uh, so maybe they have a different level of burnout than you and I experience. But no matter what, how are we all digesting what's been happening to us over the past two years almost? Like, how have we digested it? How are we using it? How is it becoming fruitful for us? Is there a way that we've planted good seeds so that we're coming out of this experience ready to whether bloom or cut, you know, is it time to trim when the spring comes again? I mean, this is the time of winter, right? So we're supposed to be going inside. We're supposed to be a little bit more introspective and reflective. So what is going to happen in March and April when the buds are going to start, earth is going to warm up again, we're going to be ready to sprout. So what is it that we need to trim from our trees now? What's some of the dead wood that we need to clear out so that we know how we're going to approach February, March, April, May of next year? So this is the experience of wisdom that we have that um, we hope other people beside us, behind us, among us can have as well. Well, you talk about that introspective part, and certainly as the days are long and dark, that comes easily. The pruning away part, so vitally important. Some of us, and I'm speaking for myself here, I don't like to get rid of things. I just like to add things. Mm -hmm. It's, well, then you're going to get all kinds of troublesome accumulations is what happens. All nature works on kind of flow and exchange. Mm-hmm. So I hear you talk about pruning things back at this moment in time. And I'm looking outside as we speak and, you know, all the leaves are down and, you know, the flowers are gone and even the stalks of the flowers are gone. It's like sometimes you have to take things away to go forward. Mm-hmm. You have to know what to let go of. Yeah, you do. How do you make those decisions? How do you know when it's time to release something? My experience, not always my practice, but my experience says to have quiet time where I can feel and think and see and know 
how to prepare for the next step. And that takes time. And when you don't make the time to do that and you don't have the breath and the ability, you make bad decisions. And you don't, or you don't make good decisions. And they take you in paths that you may not really want or have the energy to go down. So I've had to practice, especially this year, and especially this year, how to just stop. And that's it. I've decided that I do not touch my computer after 6 p.m. I just don't. I read a book. I make dinner. I visit with friends and family. And that's it. So that's been my stopping point. And that has given me more time to breathe and think and consider. That sounds like a luxury to me. No. That sounds like an utter luxury to not touch the computer after six o'clock. Wow. Wow. I'm thinking about the way my life is structured. That's completely impossible at this moment in time. Mm-hmm. How would I do that? And is that important to you? I mean, do you use the computer to find inspiration or do you use the computer for work? I use it for work. Okay. I use it to write. I like writing. It's easy. Um, I'm better with a keyboard than with with a pen. Mm -hmm. So there's that. As we're having this conversation, I can reflect back and remember as a kid, especially in the winter, you just have these long, empty periods of time, this luxurious open space. You know, as a kid, open space meant that you were bored. You thought nothing was in it. One of the things I've found as time has gone on is that space is not empty, it's connective. Mm. And leaving sort of that fallow field Mm -hmm. allows things to come through that cannot come through when I'm hurried. It's only when I'm unhurried. Do you find that that is worth it? I mean, some people are afraid or concerned about that. That's why they keep so busy. It's where my best inspiration comes from. Mm -hmm. Because when I'm quiet enough, what's on the periphery Mm -hmm. shows itself a little bit more. All the best stuff in my life has always come from the periphery. Mm -hmm. It's trustworthy. That's perfect. Mm. How long did it take you to recognize that? Or have you always known that? I guess you could say in a way I've always known it, but I called it just my quirky way of going through the world because, you know, everybody else was saying, do it like this, do that, do that, get this, get that, climb the ladder, blah, blah, blah. That's how you do life. And and that just never worked for me. So I would say my whole life, in a sense, and in particular, maybe the last, I don't know, I'm going to say handful because I can't put a number on it of years, I just know that's how I roll. So I don't question it and I trust it. And I mean, that's where the synchronicity shows up. That's where the things that have a weight to them, you can feel it. That's where they show up. And yeah, I need space for that. It will not show up without space. A lot of cultures have built that in, especially in America, we forget that our ancestors and our people behind us knew that. One thing, and I'll just share this because I think it, it may be a good opening. 
I've lived and worked in Native communities for, like I said, about 35 years. And one of the sayings, I'm sure everyone has heard this by now, is that we have to care for seven generations Mm. ahead of us. What I realized is I am the eighth generation of somebody seven generations ago who gave birth to someone, who gave birth to someone, who survived so many things in their country and in their world to give me birth today and let me be who I am today. And so I think backwards. I do think ahead. Given the state of the world right now, I'm not sure that we have seven generations ahead of us. But I know one thing for sure is that I am the eighth generation of people who sacrificed and survived. And I take that really seriously. That my responsibility to myself and to them is to be as good as I can be in whatever I'm doing. So I don't know, that seemed like an appropriate thing to say because you can't be who we are, I should say, in our field without the ability to listen and to be guided and to take that and move forward. So it kind of circles back around to what you were talking about in terms of masters. And then it, it circles back around to saying, what do I have mastery in? What am I willing to claim for mastery? Mm. I make a really good bread. I'm going to say I can be masterful at making bread. I can usually manage to stick in needles pretty well Mm. and do a pretty good diagnosis. I don't know that I would claim mastery anywhere else but baking bread Mm -hmm. and making a really good stew. Mm -hmm. Because I'm always learning, right? Two basic misconceptions stand in the way of people feeling comfortable using Chinese herbal medicine, even as they are feeling more positive about acupuncture. They are concerned about safety as herbal medicine is an unregulated industry and feel herbs are not effective to treat most conditions. Blue Poppy is committed to meeting all FDA safety regulations. All of their herbal products contain minimal or no filler to maximize potency and efficiency. Their granules are carefully manufactured in GMP-certified facilities, and every batch is tested multiple times for pesticides, heavy metals, and microbial content at the manufacturer and by SGS Laboratory, a Swiss certification and inspection company. For over 20 years, Blue Poppy has made quality and safety manufacturing standards their biggest priority, resulting in exceptionally effective herbal formulas. Their years of experience provide you with the best possible herbs so your patients have the best possible outcomes. With free shipping and free dropship service on orders over $50, Blue Poppy should be your favorite place to shop for herbs. Use the code CHI2024 to receive 10% off Blue Poppy products on your next order. Hopefully. I have a lot of trouble with the word mastery. I mean, partly, why do I have so much trouble with it? Again, I think in our profession, we fetishize it mm-hmm. to some degree. And I also, I look at some of the the masters, Zhang Zhongjing, and mm-hmm. you know, the pantheon of characters that we have, right? They've all lived through some really horrible times. I'm thinking, man, I'd love to get through a life where I don't have to do that. I think I would be really happy to settle for being a good journeyman practitioner. Mm. Just like solid 
skilled craftsmen, mm-hmm. good at my art. I'm happy to be good at my art. I hope I'm not called tomorrow. There's a part of me that does not want to be called tomorrow. I just want to be good and solid at what I do and call it a day mm-hmm. and then turn off the damn computer at six o'clock. <laughs> Seriously. All right. I'm going to check in with you in four weeks' time. <laughs> <laughs> All right. What do you see happening in four weeks? Oh, well, I see that you've made this proclamation, even though people won't have heard it for about four weeks. But by the time they've heard it, perhaps I will have called you and said, so, Michael, how are you doing with that? Turning off the computer at 6 p.m. And we can have an update. (laughs) That is a massive challenge. Holy smokes. Okay, one night a week. Okay, you know, that might be a good place to start. Mm -hmm. We're going to come back to that in just a second. There is a, um, do you know who Seth Godin is? No. He's ostensibly a really great marketing guy, but I think more than that, he's just an inspirational, intelligent, communicative human being. And uh, I did a thing with him a few years back called the Marketing Seminar to learn how to market my practice better, learn some great stuff. And one of the questions that he asks people is like, he's like, okay, so like, what's your price right now? What do you charge for your services? What if you had to 10x that price? You have to raise your prices by a factor of 10. Now what's your practice going to look like? Now what's your product look like? What if you have to live at that way higher vibratory level? And so I hear that. I hear the echo of that challenge in, okay, in four weeks, the computer's off at six o'clock. What else has to happen in your life to make room for that? I like that. Let's find out in four weeks. And not once a week. I don't want to do the like, oh, I'm going to put my little toe in. I'm going to put my ankle in. I mean, maybe 20 years ago, I would do that. But if I'm going to do something at this point, I don't have time to like pussyfoot around. Right. And considering is six o'clock good for you? Or is five better? At what time do you eat dinner? At what time do you want to Put the rest of the outside world away. That's basically what you're called to do. What I want to do is after dinner, not be worried about going and getting a few more hours in on whatever I'm doing. Mm -hmm. Didn't know that was coming up. And it's in public too. Oh boy. I know. I know. know. It'll be fine. People are going to check in. They're going to be worried about you. (laughs) They're going to email me to see if I reply. <laughs> hey, Michael Max, it's 7.30. I got a question. <laughs> That's really good. <laughs> I know it's coming. There's going to be all these emails that are going to show up. I know you guys out there. I know my listening audience. They're going to mess with me. <laughs> be nice to him. <laughs> He's having to live through something here. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. So making room for the quieter stuff. What about you? What do you get with that empty space? Um, I don't do it very well until I'm forced to. And the death of my aunt forced me to do that. And so, you know, it was a struggle at first. I thought I'm not going to get my work done. And in fact, I didn't get my work done. Then what? So, you know, I go back to my old training about... So this is true. 
So you're failing at something. Okay, then what? Am I really failing? You know, then? I love that. Okay, then what? So what do I do? And experience has taught me, well, then you just pick up and you do the next thing. Maybe whatever it is that you didn't complete just isn't ready to be completed. So just let it go until it comes back around. Mm. It can come back around to bite you in the butt, but then you'll know not to do that again. It all becomes compost for the seeds that are planted in this very quiet time. So just learning to always Tai Chi that energy is survival. Survivorship, I think. And that comes back to, oh my God, how did they get on a boat and cross the ocean in a month with only $4 in their pocket? Oh, I know how my family did that. Mm-hmm. Things were bad back at home. Mm-hmm. Like running from torture and death. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? So you do what's necessary. And our limbic systems are slightly the more activated because of that, right? Survivalship. But for me right now, it's just looking at the wheel and thinking, I've really, I've done a lot. Have I done enough? I don't know. By whose standard? By whose measure? Did I make someone happy today? Did I get rid of their headache? Did I give them peace of mind? Did I show up? So did I show up for myself? I'm learning how to do this. This is not an easy dance for me either. I really love that phrase, by whose measure? Mm -hmm. Wow. I ask that question, I've got this cacophony of voices in the back of my head. There's a bunch of people judging me on that one. That's interesting. We carry around quite a bit of judgment and inexperience. I mean... We're all the wiser for it, but we're also the more burdened by it. Mm. You know, I think some of it is being willing to and having enough experience working outside your comfort zone. And for people who aren't pushing themselves and you're listening, I would say find a way to push. Find a way to extend beyond your comfort zone and see how you are with that and just learn from that experience. Being an Eastern medicine person working within a Western medicine setting has been incredibly strengthening and inspirational. And I don't know that I would have been able to do it in the same way even 10 years ago. But now with age and with experience, it feels like it's a good fit for me. Mm -hmm. What do you feel like you bring now? that you could not have brought 10 years ago? I'm not trying to impress anybody. And now I'm really just trying to listen to them and hear what they're telling me, what they're saying, and um, read between the lines. And I'm now part of School of Medicine. So I see their curriculum and I see how residents and faculty members and mentors are struggling with things right now. They don't know how to cope half the time, but they suck it up, move forward. And because so many people give them that aura, whereas I think our field, we have to earn it differently. We're in our own little comfort zones. We are usually treating people who come to us because they're at their last wit's end or because they really need comfort and versus our colleagues who are on the front line. People are coming to them out of extreme acute necessity. 
or lives are in the balance. And we don't usually see that. So we have a luxury that they don't have. And I think I want to listen to what they experience and see how I can help. And maybe that's the other part, Michael. It's like I keep thinking, how can I help? How can I be of service? What do I have to offer you? Maybe that's the difference that I have more and more as I get older. I ask that question too. Increasingly what I find is I don't have a lot. Hmm. But I feel like my patients often have something. It's my job to help them find that. Hmm. Acupuncture is a wonderful, amazing way of connecting people up with something essential in themselves that does the work. It doesn't come from me. I'm not fixing no one. Mm-hmm. I get to assist in some way. I don't feel like I'm very fluent in describing how this works, but increasingly recognize that people have tremendous resources within themselves. It's a little bit mysterious, and I don't use that word lightly. Mm. You know, we have this idea in Chinese medicine of the Zheng Qi, of the upright Qi. It's a fantastic character. It's just like really solid, blocky, like boom. It's like the sumo wrestler of characters. Mm-hmm. Solid, grounded. Zheng, Zheng Qi, you know, the Zheng means the upright. That which is working correctly. At this point, and I'm no scholar of, of, of Chinese, I'm just trying to take this from my own experience. But it seems to me the Zheng is that part of us. Not only is it upright and healthy, it cannot be made sick. Mm-hmm. And that's what we get to work with. Mm-hmm. And it seems like something that can be conjured, but it can't be commanded. It can be invited, but it can't be dictated to. And this is one of the reasons why I think acupuncture is so fantastically extraordinary. It enlivens that Chung Chi. I'm imaging it in my mind as we talk. And I'm thinking about how Zheng Qi is sometimes hidden. Mm. Is the word obfuscated? Mm. Where it's um, something has either on purpose or maybe itself has decided to retract. So because of the conditions or situations, but it's an intangible presence, but it is a force. So when you talk with somebody, if you can touch that, even energetically, using your white chi or using anything else, that you can embolden it or invigorate it. Invigorate it. Maybe embolden it. Wow, that's an interesting word. Embolden it. I hadn't thought of Jung Chi as having a timidity to it, but... Mm, I don't think it does. I don't think it does. But I think it has a wisdom to it. Mm. And that wisdom can say, at this moment... It's like the feminine and the masculine. Some of the most masculine men I know are very feminine because they understand. Like I think of some of the native men that I've had the honor of being of knowing and, and spending time with in their families. They're the most gentle people when it comes to their grandbabies or their babies. They're incredibly gentle and they're incredibly fierce. And so it's like this masculinity that shows up in this feminine way. And some of the single mothers or other mothers that I know that are incredibly masculine and fierce because they're protecting their children. 
So it's that yin yang, right? It's the ability to have that upright chi no matter what. It's unwavering. It cannot be struck down except when it's done. And then, but it has to know the wisdom of when to show up and when to mm -hmm. take the back, not the back seat, but when to take the the more silent position and just be there, just be a pillar of strength. All of that rings true for me. I bet it does for many of us. Just how we embody it or how it embodies us. <laughs> you know, which is it? A bit of both. Hmm. Wow. I am often surprised by where these geological conversations go. Because mm -hmm. I don't have much of an agenda with them other than to take some kind of idea that showed up for me from the periphery, <laughs> like an email asking, how come I can't get logged in, I think, <laughs> to a conversation like this. Mm-hmm. This issue of, I think we need a different word besides retirement. Mm. Okay. For those of us that are in our 60s, and Lillian Bridges, who we lost recently, uh, in one of her conversations with me here on the podcast, maybe a year ago or so, said that after the age of 60, you no longer have the energy to do what's not in your own highest good. You can't fight against it. If it's in your highest good, there's energy, there's vitality to do whatever that, that is that needs to come forth. But in terms of fighting with yourself, you can't really do it after 60. Hmm. We use the word retirement to talk about people roughly our age-ish when they step away from some kind of a career or whatever they were doing. But again, we're not stepping into nothing. Hmm. Have you got a better word or another way of describing these kinds of years that we're living through? Relinquish. Ooh. I relinquish that which doesn't serve my highest good. I relinquish the burdens that I've placed on myself and that other people have tried to impose upon me. Right? And the responsibilities that I felt as though I was carrying alone that I now want to share with other people. I think of what comes to my mind is going through the cycles of life. And part of that is through my native teachings and what I've learned and what I practice. So for us, this is the time of moving in. We are in the wisdom, in the wisdom quadrant. So we have to not just, we've, we've already composted. We should have been digesting. We are digesting and continue to digest that which our life experiences has given us. So now it's the time of building, making sure that the soil is steady. For those of us that have children, were my seeds planted well? Did they grow well? Did they grow strong? Are they also giving fruit? What does that fruit lead to? And for those of us that don't have children, it's have my ideas taken root? Did they bear fruit? Did the seeds... Were they well enough nourished that I now have something that I can eat from and survive on in these end days, in months and years, whatever it is? So those are my concepts right now as I move into this time. I don't want to build another structure. I don't want to create anything new at this point in my life. 
for God's sakes. Cheers to that. Right? Enough mm -hmm. of that already. Mm -hmm. But what can I do with what I have? And mm -hmm. how can I make it better for myself and other people? That's where I am. What can I do with what I have and make it better? That sounds so un-American. I know. We're always grasping for that next thing. But to take, it's like, okay, here's what we got. Table's been set. This is it. Mm -hmm. What's here now? Work with what's here now. That's powerful. Hmm. And I love the word relinquish. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Maybe there will be others that come to us. Because when we check back in in four weeks. It's not going to be after six o'clock in the evening. No. No, it isn't. <laughs> no. Well, Celia, thank you so much for joining me for a little conversation. This has been completely delightful. I agree, Michael. I've enjoyed it as well. I was not sure at all where it was going to go, but it seems like we managed to cast a wide net, catch a couple of good ideas. It's not unlike what we do in clinic. We don't know what we're going to do. We don't know what's going to show up. True. Yeah. yeah. Podcast is no different than a clinical encounter. What's here? What wants to be said? What needs to come forth? Yeah. So thank you. Thank you for this opportunity and this delightful chat. Relinquishing the burdens we have placed on ourselves and on others. Upon first hearing that, I thought, that's right. But as I further sat with that, I realized just how radically transformative this is. To willingly lay down what no longer serves and to allow the landscape of our lives to shift, what will then arise in that fertile, empty space? What can we say yes to after we have let go of the no's that have kept us on a steady and familiar track? The world is a big place, and our withdrawal from one aspect of it just might mean enlivening another way of being that we'd not considered. I hope that you found this conversation to be helpful and worth the time that you spent listening to it. Thanks as always for listening. If you liked this conversation, if you learned something new or found a moment of inspired insight, share the episode with your friends. If you want to support Geological, there's just one way to do that. It's by going to the website and becoming a member or leaving a one-time contribution today. Well, folks, that's it for today. Join us again next Tuesday for another conversation that connects up the voices of our community.